And our purpose this morning is to understand true gospel partnership in the light of Jesus' return. Let me pray. Father, we thank you we can gather like this. Uh, uh, Two churches come together as one, with friends and visitors as well. We thank you for the encouragement it is to be together and we pray that you will bless our partnership. Father, help us now as we uh, engage with your word to understand what that partnership should look like to understand what we should do, how we to care for one another and pray for each other and work together. And we pray this for your glory, that we might honour you in everything that we do and say as individuals and as a church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, here we are, after more than 40 years uh, running independently from each other, our two churches have been reunited uh, in the 1970s The whole area north of here was in the grip of a housing boom, surprisingly enough. Uh, We're seeing that repeating now. And it was thought for the purposes of reaching the many, many new residents in the area who were flooding in uh, for Jesus, that forming a new church entity separated out from the parish of Ingleburn was the way to go. And so with the help of CMS, sorry, HMS, who's now Anglicare, uh, funding was raised to kind of get the churches and get staffing and to, to kick off. And in 1976, it became official, uh, the separation. And while there have been ups and downs uh, in the history of both churches since, there is much to praise God for what has happened over those years. Countless people have given their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. Individual lives have been transformed. Families have been transformed. Communities have been transformed. There is much to praise God and thank God for. And our hope and prayer is that that we may now be able to do more together than we have been able to do apart. Is that your prayer? That we can do more together than we can apart. And one of the most important questions that we could ask ourselves uh, now that we're back together is what are we going to do together? What's What's the point? What's our purpose? Why are we doing this? The cynics might say uh, that the point is solely to manage our death and decline in a world which is increasingly hostile to God and which is running as fast as it can from his ways. Uh, Maybe you're one of the cynics and thinks, well, here you go, this is just the last hurrah. Uh, The more positive people might say the point is financial security. Uh, There's a certain cost efficiencies that we can have as combined entities as we share our resources, we can manage things better. Uh, Some might say so that a bigger church can care for the members of a smaller church and help them through a time of pain and difficulty and certainly we hope that that is going to be the case. But can I be so bold as to suggest that if either of those were the primary reason for us to join together, that it may be nice and pleasant for a little while but ultimately won't sustain us for the long haul And nor will it help us to do what God has called us to do. We exist as a church because Jesus Christ is the King and Saviour and he is the King and Saviour of this world and he is going to return one day, which may be soon, it may be longer, but he is going to return to judge the living and the dead. And we've been called together in the light of that day to serve his great purpose of building his church, to build it up as we encourage one another, as we stand firm and and, and encourage each other to stand firm in our faith, to help each other to grow as his disciples as we pray together and read God's word together and struggle together through life, uh, 
to equip and inspire each other to serve God wholeheartedly in everything that we do. And we're to be building it out as we seek those who are currently on the broad road that is heading to destruction and help them to know and understand, to trust and give their lives to and love the Lord Jesus Christ, who's the only one who can save them. And that's the point. Build the church to build it up and to build it out. And today is a day to celebrate this new partnership that we're forming and to commit ourselves together to that purpose, that great purpose of God's. And so that we might set out well together, we've chosen to look at the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in a place called Philippi in kind of northern Greece, uh, which really is all about partnership. It's about partnership, gospel partnership. And we're going to be working through it uh, for the next two months, uh, over Christmas included. Uh, But today we're just looking at the start of the letter, that opening prayer that uh, Patrick did so well uh, memorising and recounting for us. It's a passage that's typical of Paul's letters where he starts in prayer, giving thanks to God for a church he's writing to, praying for them. But notice that he gives thanks and he prays for them all in the light of the second coming of Jesus Christ. You see that in a couple of places. In verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Or verse 9, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. The day of Christ, the day he returns, is what shapes and controls Paul's prayer for the Philippian church. He's sure, he's confident that God will continue working in their lives and that he's going to see them safely to the end. And he prays that they would be discerning and maybe pure and blameless until that day comes, the day that Jesus returns, that they and we might be ready for it. And that readiness is supposed to be seen in our lives in the way that we live, in the way that we decide things, in in the things we're doing and planning. It's meant to shape every sphere of our life, our family life. Uh, our personal interests and hobbies, our work life, our leisure time, our holidays. Uh, It's meant to affect how we participate in church and how we do church together. Everything is supposed to be done in a way that is pleasing to our God, that's pure, that honours him, that's not indulging ours or other people's sins. But rather than survey all the ways that we could do that, there's one area that Paul's particularly thrilled about in the lives of the Philippian Christians which he sees truly as the work of God in their lives and in their church and for which he thanks God above all else. And that thing is their fellowship, their fellowship. Something that we're going to have to build together as we start on this new journey together. In Philippians 1 verse 5, Paul speaks of, well, he doesn't use the word fellowship in the NIV translation, Uh, It's the word partnership. He says, when I remember you, I thank God because of your partnership from the first day until now. And that's the Greek word koinonia, the Greek word koinonia, which is most often translated in the Bible as fellowship because of your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, in one sense, I'm glad they've translated a partnership here because the word fellowship uh, can be a little confusing. I mean, people talk about having 
Uh, some nice warm fellowship over morning tea. Uh, people talk about going to uh, youth fellowship or you send the, the youth off to youth fellowship where it's all fun and games and running around. Uh, sometimes people talk about fe- having fellowship when they go watch a movie together. But I think more often than not, they're really talking about being friends than about true fellowship. I mean, friends have morning tea together, go to the movies together, play games together, especially board games at my house, uh, which you're all welcome to join in with on Friday nights. <laughs> but that's friendship. That's not necessarily fellowship. True fellowship is partnership. It's a partnership in doing something. It's working together. Fellowship is something that occurs amongst people who are committed to a common cause or goal and it flourishes in the common pursuit of that goal. When former Moore College principal Broughton Knox uh, was a young man, he served on a British ship during World War II uh, as a chaplain and his ship happened to be part of the invasion of Normandy, D-Day. And... uh, you think the storming of the beaches seen in Saving Private Ryan, for those who go to night church, there you go. It's the invasion of the shores of France, which was the beginning of the end of the war. A tremendous victory which cost hundreds of thousands of lives to achieve. And Broughton Knox uh, reflected on what it was like on the ship for the three months leading up to the invasion as they sat off the coast. He says this, I witnessed and shared the exhilaration that fellowship brings Do you reckon storming the beaches is fellowship? There you go. I witnessed and shared the exhilaration that fellowship brings and how dull and normal life seemed to be to everybody when the fellowship activity was over. The minds of everybody on board was concentrated in making the operation a success. All our thoughts were concentrated on that one activity. No one considered his own affairs, but all thought only about how they could help one another in the common task. They were focused. And then he says something strange. He says, I remember noting in my mind how I had never been happier. They're in the middle of a war. Many of them are about to die. Is he nuts? He says, I I can remember noting that we'd never been happier. What a strange thing to think in the middle of an invasion. Well, after the invasion, they set sail back to England and he says this. He says, it remained quite friendly as it is on a well-run ship, but several sailors mentioned the difference and asked me why we couldn't maintain the old spirit. The answer was quite simple. During the three months that preceded and followed D-Day, our thoughts had a minimum of self-centeredness in them. We all gave ourselves to our shared activity and objective. We were eager to help one another and to take our share in furthering the work at hand. Once the undertaking was over, we reverted to thinking about our own purposes as we do normally. We all became selfish gits again. Anyway, basically. (laughs) Fellowship is what people have in pursuing a common goal. It's not the same as friendship. Friendship is great and wonderful. It's a great gift from God. But fellowship is something else. It goes beyond friendship. It's about working together. In fact, that's what the word fellowship or partnership really means. I mean, you think of the Lord of the Rings. Uh, The first part, the first book, the first movie Uh, It used to be a book for those. uh, Anyway, (laughs) Uh, the first part is called The Fellowship of the Ring. But you think about The Fellowship of the Ring. uh, It's nine bizarre, mostly unconnected individuals, four hobbits, two humans, one elf, one dwarf and one wizard sent from beyond. And they weren't friends. Well, a couple of them were friends with each other. 
But most weren't friends. They barely knew each other. Some even viewed others in the fellowship with contempt and suspicion. But those nine very different individuals were bound together in the great mission to defeat evil and save Middle Earth. They formed a pact to carry the, you know, the magic ring of... This is the one, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Alison gave it to me. <laughs> one ring to rule them all. Anyway... <laughs> They, they formed a pact to take the ring and throw it into the volcano. That is the fellowship of the ring, the coming together for this great task. It's about partnership. It's about striving together. It's about pitching in. It's about working hard. It's about putting the shoulder to the wheel together to accomplish some great task together. But in Philippians chapter 1, right at the heart, we have a fellowship that exceeds any other kind of fellowship. A fellowship or a partnership, he says, in the gospel. It's a fellowship that's rooted in God and in a quest that can only be described as eternal. This is not a partnership to free the land of the enemy or to destroy a magical ring. It's partnership in a mission to save people for eternity. And I just want to show you three things about this true fellowship, this partnership in the gospel, while we wait for our Saviour Jesus Christ to come. I want to show you the joy that comes from it. I want to show you what it's like. That is the nature of partnership in the gospel. And the third thing is what being partners in the gospel is going to mean for what we want for each other and what we pray for each other. So they're the three things we're going to look at. So first of all, the joy. Paul's full of joy, isn't he? He's just dripping with it. And I don't know if you've ever received a positive and encouraging letter from someone. It's very rare to receive a positive or encouraging email, but a handwritten letter, um, it's great. But listen as Paul speaks of his joy. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He's full of gladness and joy. Now what's interesting is you find out that he's writing from jail as he writes. It's not a particularly joyous place to be writing for you from, you wouldn't have thought. He's locked in a cell. He's chained to two guards on his left hand and right hand. He's dictating all this uh, to Timothy through the bars to write it down. And so the last thing you'd think of, that he'd be full of joy, but he is. And then it's funny again, because he's praying with joy for these Philippians, but he only met them for two weeks. He hardly knows them. It was a very short stay, and it hadn't been all that pleasant when he'd been there. In fact, it had been decidedly unpleasant. In the two weeks that he'd been in Philippi, he was arrested for helping a poor demon-possessed girl, uh, and he'd been flogged with Roman whips and he'd been thrown into jail there. Yippee! <laughs> but that's not what comes to mind when he thinks back to Philippi. It's the people of the place, the people of the church, the people who become to Christ through him. Lydia, who in Acts chapter 16, he met down by the river and she'd become a Christian and she'd started a church in her house with, with some of her friends. He thinks of her, the, the Philippian jailer. You remember the night that Paul's in jail. Uh, an earthquake shakes the prison. Uh, he thinks of the, 
the, the prisoners have escaped because the doors are all open. He's about to kill himself for failing at his post. But Paul jumps in and says, don't do it. We're all here. We haven't run away. And uh, he assures them that he, he shares with him the good news of Jesus, uh, that Jesus died for his sins and risen again as conquered death. And the jailer becomes a Christian and takes him home to his house. And then his family and his servants, they become Christians too. They give their lives to Jesus Christ. So that's, that's who he thinks of when he thinks of Philippi. And not just that they become Christians and become friends that he's so overjoyed. Listen to what he says in verse 4. In, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership, because of this fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. They are partners in the gospel, the koinonia, the fellowship of the gospel. They join together with him in Jesus' work in the world. And he's sure that God's going to continue to keep moulding them, shaping them, using them for his purposes and hold them safe in his hands until Jesus Christ returns, which, which only fuels his joy. I thank my God, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel, confident that he who began a good work will carry it on to completion. See, his confidence and joy really are in God, aren't they? Um, uh, who is utterly amazing. As God works in them, he's overjoyed about what's happening and, and he knows God's going to be with them and he's thrilled. So that's the joy of fellowship. And I trust that joy and confidence is only going to build as we partner together in God's work. But what does the fellowship look like? What's the nature of this partnership? Well, he tells us that in verse 7. He says, It's right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. Now, that's a little bit weak. Um, what he actually says is this, in my chains and in the defence and confirming the gospel, you are my fellow partners in grace. It's, it's the koinonia word again. You hear the difference? You are partnering with me in God's grace. You're in it with me. You're doing the same things that I'm doing. You're supporting me. I'm supporting you. Um, whether it's in jail or out there sharing Jesus in the world or building up Christians, we're in the fellowship together, the fellowship of the ship, the fellowship of the ring style, united in purpose, working together for the same ends. For, for the Philippians, that's a bit of a tongue twister, for the Philippians that meant they supported Paul in his work financially and in prayer. Uh, later we find out in the letter that they've been sending not just money but they've been sending people as missionaries to go with him in his team. Uh, even more than that, they were standing up for Jesus in their own community, seeking to win others to Christ. They were defending and confirming the gospel themselves, we'll find out. Which is what true gospel fellowship is, active participation and involvement in sharing the good news of forgiveness and life in Jesus Christ, building God's church up and building it out. And he's planning to send people back to come and support them and to encourage them and to pray with them and see how they're going. It's, it's a two-way street. See, fellowship is not tea and biscuits after church. It's not fun and games. True Christian fellowship is committing ourselves, devoting ourselves, equipping ourselves for God's work of seeing the people in our community saved. It's when we all pitch in and help with the aim of seeing the lost one together and to grow each other as disciples of Christ. Now, there's all sorts of ways to be partners in doing that, isn't it? We're not all the same. We're not all gifted 
exactly the same kind of way. Um, uh, but we can all pitch in to see the gospel go forward in, in lots of different ways. And you, you see it particularly when, when we do an event, like the, the carols that are coming up in a few weeks' time. It's a huge team effort. Uh, everyone's pitching in to make it happen. Some are setting up, some are cooking food, some are cleaning, some are face painting on the kids, some are doing advertising uh, in, the, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, uh, people are setting up lights. Uh, there's singing on the day, there's praying, there's speaking, there's all kinds of things. And packing up, don't forget packing up either. <laughs> but it's not just one-off events where you see this partnership. We've also got to be committed for the longer term and be committed for the long haul to God's mission and a partnership with each other, working out what we can do to, to reach Ingleburn and Macquarie Fields and Glenfield and Panorama and Long Point and the new suburb they're building up the back here, and even as we kind of break our boundaries and go up the hill where no one's going, up to Edmondson Park and Ingleburn Gardens and beyond, and we take over the world. You know? <laughs> but come back to Philippians 1 and see where does all this thankfulness and joy in the partnership of the gospel lead Paul? It leads him first and foremost to prayer, to pray, to committing them committing himself, I guess, as well, to God, before telling them everything that he wants to tell them, before giving them some very strong words, which he's going to give them about working together and not being afraid and not being divided and to pull your heads in, he prays. And it's not a pious little formula prayer, it's a heartfelt prayer laying down exactly what he wants God to do for them and in them. Verse 9, and this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, all to the glory and praise of God. He's praying for their Christian lives and their partnership in the gospel. He thanks God for their partnership. He's overjoyed because of their partnership and he's praying for their partnership. It's a kind of chain of things that he prays for Their First link in the chain. He prays that their love might grow, that it might abound. One of the things that was happening in Philippi is that different people in the church found it very hard to get along with each other, as we find out later. And he's going to say, pull your heads in and work together. Stop fighting about every little thing. Like on the ship, when the battle's on, no one's fighting over the colour of the carpet in the cruise quarters. Glenquarry has a nice colour. We've got red. <laughs> and that's going to be vital as we move on together. This not, not bickering, isn't it? Forgiving past hurts, which are there in the real. Building new relationships. Caring for those who are weaker and struggling, maybe spiritually, maybe physically, putting each other's needs above our own. All the things that the letter goes on to speak about. That's all part of the love that he prays to God might grow in them, that might abound in them. So he prays for them in that. But it's not just that he's praying that they'll be more loving, but that their love will grow more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. In other words, he wants them to be to think, to be smart about their love. Now, I might 
you know, if lunch is no good, I might wander down the street a bit later. I'm sure that's not going to be the case. <laughs> and go past that Vietnamese bakery down the bottom there. You see those lovely custard tarts, you know. Anyone, anyone want to come with me? <laughs> so, uh, and I think, yeah, gee, that'd be really loving to buy one of those for my beautiful wife, Alison. <laughs> but if I thought about it, I'd remember she's gluten intolerant. <laughs> she can't eat wheat or other wheat products. Uh, and it turns out she's now dairy free too. <laughs> Custard tart? <laughs> You know, if I just go on impulse, it's loving, but it's actually very cruel because she won't be able to eat it and she'll cry and be very sad. <laughs> so the better, the better I know her, the better I can love her. And given the effects of gluten and dairy on her system, it's loving for the whole family as well. <laughs> but he's not just talking about love for each other but also that their love for God might abound and it might be more and more insightful and well-founded, that their, their love for God will grow as they understand more and more deeply the great love of God that he has for them, that they would understand him and his ways as they grow closer to him, as they engage with his word, as they, they walk with him day to day, um, that they would know how much he loves them in sending his one and only son to die for us helpless sinners, that we might have life and forgiveness as they understand how Jesus is the only name under heaven and earth by which men may be saved, as they understand that he's coming back to judge the living and the dead any time now. Why is he praying for their love to grow in knowledge? Well, verse 10, so that they can be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. He wants them to grow in love so they can know how to live as God's people so they can make the right choices about life, about work and about houses and yes, those things, but more important, how to serve, how to share the gospel, how to live in godliness, honouring the true and living God, how to care for fellow Christians in the church. That's the fruit of righteousness. Why is he praying that? Well, last seven words. Seven Little words that give direction and purpose and meaning and value to all the things that he's been praying for them. To the glory of God the Father. That's the ultimate prayer. That God might be glorified in them and through them and by them that as they partner together and live for Jesus and work together, that it might bring all praise and glory to their heavenly Father and our heavenly Father. God's glory is what every life should be on about. It's certainly what every Christian life is to be about, bringing honour to God. Have you ever thought about that? That, that? that life has a purpose. If you think about your own purpose in life, do you think, well, what am I living for? Is it... Am I living for the honour of God first and foremost? Or is it something else? That is the purpose, to bring glory to our Heavenly Father. Is that what you're living for? So no wonder he's so encouraged and overjoyed about the Philippians, that they're so committed and dedicated to 
promoting Jesus together, that they had this fellowship, this partnership in the gospel because they are seeking to glorify and praise God. Now, my sense is that that is a growing reality in both our churches. Well, I can't even say that anymore. In our church, because we're one now. And as we come together as this one bigger church family, I pray it might only continue to grow. There are undoubtedly going to be teething problems. There always are when there's a major change. There is bound to be grief. There's bound to be anxiety as we all adjust to each other and things change and we lose some things. There's going to be complexities that we're all going to have to bear with. And it's only going to be our common goal and commitment to seeing God glorified and our desire to love one another and to see lives won for Jesus Christ across the whole northern MacArthur region that is going to keep us focused and keep us committed to working out the challenges, working through the differences, knowing that God is the victor, knowing that Jesus is returning, knowing that he has a safe in his hands and that nothing can take away his glorious love for us in Jesus Christ. And so let's make a commitment in our own minds this day that we are going to honour God and partner together in his work, building up his church and building it out and that we're going to be prepared to sort through any of the issues that might happen to come up in a godly, loving, considerate and constructive way which will only bring more honour and more glory to the one who saved us, to the one who will return in glory to judge the living and the dead and to save his people. Wouldn't it be amazing if in 20 years or so, if one of our members is on mission overseas, maybe an Ingleburn Night Church person, a married a Glen Quarry morning person, <laughs> and they were on mission together and they got arrested. Uh, they got arrested for standing up for Jesus. And they wrote a letter back to us saying, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Wouldn't that be awesome to get that letter? Not that they were arrested, but they were so encouraged despite what they're going through because they could see the partnership of the gospel that was happening still here and into the future. May God make that a reality in us. I thought it would be appropriate and so I've printed out the St Barnabas prayer at the bottom of the outline. And we've got to modify it slightly because it's no longer just Ingleburn and its surrounds in the second last line. We could say Ingleburn, Glen Quarry and their surrounds when we pray this together. Pray this with me if you're willing to commit to this task of partnership. Almighty God, we ask you to glorify yourself in us. Please use us to bring people to know Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. Lay the foundations of living for you and help them grow to maturity in Christ. Give us grace, patience, love and confidence as we seek to connect with our community and grow your kingdom in Ingleburn and Glen Quarry and their surrounds by proclaiming Jesus. Amen.